What do Mormons believe? Today on the show, I interview Dr. Travis S. Kearns, who is the brand new professor of apologetics and world religions at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary down here in Fort Worth, Texas. He's also the author of The Saints of Zion, an introduction to Mormon theology. Wanted to give him a, a uh, welcome to his new position down here, as well as have him on the show to discuss apologetics, his background as a church planter in Utah, and his familiarity with Mormonism and Mormon theology. I personally don't know jack about Mormon theology, as will be <laughs> very apparent in the episode. I uh, definitely gave away my ignorance in some of the questions I asked, but man, it was a lot of fun to have Dr. Kearns on the show. It was a very interesting topic. I'm mostly interested in things that I don't know, and so it's always fun to learn and engage with people who know a lot about a topic that I don't know, and so I really enjoyed the conversation we had, and I think uh, you will as well. Hey, if you do, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review. Uh, all these things help to spread the word of what we're doing in the ministry that we have here and the goals that we're trying to accomplish, which is strengthen the believer and answer the critic. Uh, and you can definitely show your way of supporting us by heading on over to our Patreon page by following the link in the description and becoming a financial supporter of the show for as little as a dollar a month. Um, and there's different levels there at the $5 level. You get access to the bonus segment, which you won't want to miss. Five more minutes with Travis S. Kearns, the bonus segment for this week. So be sure to do that. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hagen Clark, your host, and I am excited to introduce my guest to you this week. He is uh, the brand new professor of apologetics and world religions at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of a book titled The Saints of Zion, an intro to Mormon theology. His name is Dr. Travis S. Kearns. How are you today, sir? I'm good, Hayden. How you doing, buddy? Thanks hey, for yeah, I'm doing really good. I appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, taking time out of your evening to do this. I really appreciate it, sir. Yeah, you bet. Glad to do it. So, tell us, tell the audience, those who may not be familiar with you, a little bit about yourself and kind of uh, where you do and kind of how you got here. Yeah, I grew up in northwestern South Carolina in a town called Greenville. Uh, three big cities in South Carolina, that's one of them. Um, grew up in a very Christian home. Um Pretty much any time the doors of the church were open, we were there, either opening the doors or, you know, soon were there soon thereafter. Um, and went to a South Carolina Baptist college called North Greenville, uh, did a religion undergrad there, and then served a church for a couple of years as associate pastor, went on to Southern Seminary in Louisville a couple of years after that, and did MDiv and PhD there. Um, focused my PhD on Mormon epistemology. Um, I've been interested in the Mormon church since January of 1996. And have studied them more or less exclusively for the last 23 or so years. Uh, so, yeah, we moved to Salt Lake City in um, 2013. And then about a month ago, moved to Fort Worth. Wow. Mormon epistemology, just so I, I heard you correctly. Yeah, yeah, you got it. 
Okay, so epistemology being the study of just knowledge and how we know things. Yep. And then with the adjective Mormon in front of it, kind of what does that do to it? What's the difference between a Mormon epistemology and, you know, I don't know, just a, a regular epistemology? I don't know how else to say that, sorry. Yeah. So uh, my, my dissertation focused really on the idea of continuing revelation in Mormonism. So in Mormonism, anytime the current president of the church has a new revelation from God. That's new scripture, mm. basically. Um, so I studied that particular topic to try and figure out if Mormons could be considered serious candidates for bearing objective truth mm-hmm. um, because they believe in continuing revelation. Uh, so what I argued is they can't because anything could change at any time. Right. Um, other than God exists and God speaks, everything else is kind of open for change. Um so, you know, from a Christian perspective, a Christian epistemology would say, no, the things that God says and declares are true, period, end of story, they never change. Uh, so we can make objective truth statements. Gotcha. Uh, objective universal truth statements, where a Mormon can't do that. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. So, uh, it makes more sense than what I was thinking in my head was, so... Uh, so how did you get into apologetics? Did the study of uh, Mormonism have something to do with that, or kind of uh, how did you get into apologetics? Yeah, no, it was the study of Mormonism. Uh, you know, I saw a, a commercial when I was in middle school uh, that was advertising the Mormon church, and I just got interested in them, not to convert, but just interested to find out you know, what they're all about. And what I found out about myself a few years after that was um, I like stuff that's different. Yeah. Uh, so when I was on, I was on faculty at Southern for about 10 years. And, uh, when I was introduced to new faculty or new trustees, my Dean would introduce me as this is Dr. Kearns. He's our professor of weird. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's really what got me into apologetics is just wanting to see people that are in those groups, um, hear about who Christ is and help other people be able to present the gospel to them in a winsome, effective way. Right. So do you think, um, you know, really getting in that mind frame of how a Mormon thinks, or just uh, would you say it's beneficial to really understand where they're coming from to uh, help with uh, evangelism, like you were just mentioning? Yeah, I think so. And I think we have a biblical example of that, Acts 17. Uh, Paul goes to the Areopagus, and he's got specifically mentioned there are Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. We know there would have also been some Greek folks there. Um, who would have studied the Greek philosophy, early, early philosophy, or Greek religion. Um, and everything Paul says at the Areopagus directly addresses either Stoic philosophy or Epicurean philosophy or Greek religion. Uh, and the only way he can do that is if he knows what they believe. Right. So, yeah, I think with Mormonism and with really any other religious group, the more you can know about it, the better. Not to go beat them over the head with it, mm-hmm. but to use it to share the gospel. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just thinking more can, of, I know there's... Some people who think it's pious to say things like, oh, Christians shouldn't study X or Christians shouldn't study Y or whatever. Um, But I've just always felt kind of a license to go and study whatever I want uh, um, to do exactly what you were just mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think you see that in Acts 17. I think you have a biblical example. Uh, Other one is in uh, Colossians 2. Paul says not to be taken captive by uh, deceptive philosophy or deceptive human tradition. Well, the only way we can not be taken captive by it is to know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know what it is, then you're very easily likely to be taken captive by it. For sure. 
So tell us kind of how you got into <laughs> this uh, Sin City missionary in uh, Salt Lake and uh, just kind of what that even means. A lot of people probably won't be familiar with what Sin City, uh, not Sin City, Sinned City <laughs> uh, even means. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I had to make that differentiation a lot. I'd always <laughs> I'm a Sin City missionary. I don't live in New Orleans or Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, so the North American Mission Board, to kind of explain what a Sin City missionary is, the North American Mission Board a few years ago uh, started focusing on 32 major cities in North America for the sake of sharing the gospel in those major cities. And they basically put a lead missiologist into each one of those cities to help oversee everything that's going on, to plan and strategize, to coach the planters and love on them. Uh, the missionaries there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what a sin city missionary is. It's a it's a person who's the lead missiologist in that particular city. Um, so that's what that is. My my journey there is is actually kind of simple. Uh, when we moved to Louisville in 2001, we started going to a church called Highview, and the pastor there was a guy named Kevin Ezel, and I got to know him over the four years we were there at Highview and did some classes with him at Southern, uh, and he, he learned about my love for Mormonism fairly quickly. Uh, when he moved to NAM in, I think, 2010, and they started working on this Sin City idea and started looking for missionaries for each one, Salt Lake is a, well, it's, it's the unique city in the United States um, because no other city is completely controlled by a religion like Salt Lake City is. What what does it mean to be controlled? So oh, sorry. Can you hear? That's no, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. What is it? What does it mean yeah. to be controlled by a religion? A city being controlled. Yeah, Utah as a state as a whole, the last religious demographics we have are from 2010, the last official ones. Uh, and in 2010, Utah was 70 percent Mormon. Wow. So it's you know everybody's Mormon, and then there's the 28 percent who are kind of non-religious, secular. Then there's the two percent Christian. Um, so the governor, lieutenant governor, four of the five state Supreme Court justices, about 80 percent of the state legislature, doctors, lawyers, teachers, you know, judges, you name it, they're LDS. Well, I mean, are they and I don't know that much about Mormonism. Um, mm-hmm. Are they very uh, nominal in their faith or, or does it pretty much drive every aspect of their life? You know, it, it, it's funny you should ask that being Mormon in Utah is a lot like being a Christian in the South. Okay. You know, South, everybody's Christian. Even the dogs are Christian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, whether or not they actually live that faith out is another question. Yeah. So yeah. the same thing kind of holds true in Utah. When it's in a when it's, when you're in a majority culture, it's very easy to say I'm Mormon or I'm Christian or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of nominal Mormonism in Utah. In fact, there's even a phrase for it. So in Christianity, we have Christmas and Easter Christians. Right. Um, in Mormonism, you have a Jack Mormon. That's a that's Jack basically Mormon. That's the Jack, sa- that's the equivalent. You, yep, that's the same thing. What's the so, what's this what's the sense of that? Where does that come from? You know, that's a great question. You don't know. <laughs> that's one of those things that I've never been able to discover. Jack uh, Morgan. That's funny. yeah. So yeah, they're uh, they're well, interesting folks to be around. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting to me that uh, so when I've done doing your just kind of researching you, getting ready for the interview, um, I'm thinking. He has written a book about Mormonism because he obviously grew up in Salt Lake and became a, a pastor there. Uh, but it, it just just so happened the way you, you said it was very simple, but it was actually very interesting to me that you just happened to be a guy with kind of a, a passion about studying this different religion 
and uh, therefore, whenever Kevin Ezel becomes the president of NAMB, he's like, well, I know who I want to send to yep. uh, Salt Lake, that guy I know that knows everything or studies Mormonism in depth. So that's very interesting to me that it actually kind of, you see what I mean, like work backwards there. From oh, what yeah, yeah. Yeah, the only thing I can tell you, people ask me all the time, well, why Mormonism? Uh, you know, because I grew up as Southern Baptists as they come. And is there that many, I mean, uh, Mormons on the East Coast? You know, there's a fair number. Um, the I only had one Mormon in my entire public I sw- school. Yeah, background. I swear. I live here in Texas. Well, I live here in Texas, and I don't know if I've ever even met a Mormon. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a Mormon temple in Dallas, uh, down in Houston. Um, I think that might be there. Might be one in El Paso, but I think it's just Dallas and Houston. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's very very minority here as opposed to Christianity. Um, so, yeah, you know, and most Mormons, interestingly, especially in Utah and the, the Mormon belt, which is Utah, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, most of them have never met a Christian. Really? So, yeah, it's it's very um, it's very strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a cyclist and I met uh, I was on a ride one day when we first moved to Utah. And one of the guys said, so what do you do? I said, I work for the Southern Baptist Convention. And just as honestly and straight face as he could said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's the biggest Protestant denomination. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. It's the biggest Protestant denomination in the U.S. And he said, I've never heard of it. <laughs> oh. I, wow, I'm not in Kansas anymore, Toto, right? I mean, right. this is a whole different world. Yeah. That's crazy. So let's go here because we keep saying it, and the audience, the listeners may be wondering why. Do yeah. Mormons think of themselves as Christians? They absolutely do, 100%. Okay. Yep. And uh, are they correct or are they wrong? or? You know, here's the thing. I'm not going to try to be a jerk when I say this, but I'm going to just be upfront and honest. No, they're not. Okay. Uh, you know, then the next question, honestly, or obviously is, well, why? Yeah. Right? Because they call themselves Christians. They're, we heard all the time, well, Jesus is in the name of my church. It's not in yours, so I'm more Christian than you are, because they go to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. So, uh, you know, I used, to, I used to simply say to them, well, let me ask you a very simple question. Tell me about your doctrine of God. Because if we're going to sum up the Bible— the entire Old Testament is there is a God, and this is who He is. And if you mess that up, that's bad. In the New Testament, it's God has revealed Himself in Christ, and if you mess up that, that's bad, right? So it's all about who God is and about who God is in Christ. So just ask them the very basic question: Who do you believe God is? And a Mormon's going to answer: He's an exalted human being who grew up on another planet. Uh, in fact, one of their scriptures, the Pearl of Great Price, says that the planet he grew up on has a star called Kolob, like the Earth has the sun. Uh, God's planet has uh, a main star. Had mom and dad, brothers, sisters. He got married, had children, had a normal life. You're talking he, about God. I'm talking about God. They, but they believe God is a corporeal yep. being. Has a physical body. Yep. Has a physical body. They, yeah. So there's no concept of, uh, you know... I don't know, spiritual, just kind of incorporeal, non-physical cause of the universe. In fact, no, in fact, Mormons believe that if you think God is a spirit, that's that's as close to arch heresy as you can get. I mean, but it, I mean, so obviously, I'm just thinking where what I would do. I'd just say, well, the Bible literally says worship. We worship God in spirit because He is spirit. Right. So here's what a Mormon would say. What he would say is, well, let me back up and preface it a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. And I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, this always happens when you start talking about Mormonism, especially with people in the South that have never really been right, around. Right, I've never heard of it. So Yeah, so the hardest thing to, to keep in your mind when you talk about groups that have a living prophet 
or that have a prophet who's heard from heaven is that when you have a prophet that you believe has heard from heaven, everything is on the table. So what that simply means is, is you can say to a Mormon, well, the Bible says God is spirit. It says God is not a man. Not, mm-hmm. I'm not interpreting it. Those are literally the words that it mm-hmm. says. Mm-hmm. And a Mormon simply going to say, I don't care. Joseph Smith said so. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of a cop out. You know what's going on? But it's the same thing for us to say Paul said so or Peter said so or right, Jesus right. said so is for a Mormon to say Joseph Smith said so or Brigham Young or the current president, a guy named Russell M. Nelson. So those guys hear from heaven and that therefore puts everything on the table. What do you do? With a Mormon, how do you how do you? Share yeah, well, with- yeah. What would you do? Where would you go from there? Whenever they say, "Well, like you said, it's it's not unfair to say, I don't care if the Bible says it. It's Paul speaking, or that's you know some uh, uh, prophet speaking. Same thing as Joseph Smith speaking over here. Well, right. well, how would you respond to that? Yeah. Well, let me just for a second. Let me go back to what you're asking about sure. with how do you, how do you know Mormons aren't Christians? Because I think for me, oh yeah, yeah, we kind of got sidetracked from there. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's that's the most important question for me because if we answer that question incorrectly, if Mormons are Christian, then I'm just wasting my time. Because we've got 16 million, 15 and a half million Mormons that are just our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we've spent millions of dollars and thousands of hours in Utah as evangelicals trying to do work there to share Christ with people. So if they get God wrong, you've completely abdicated the first 39 books of the Old Testament. Or the first 39 books of the Bible. So a Mormon's going to say, you know, human being, got married, all this stuff, still lives in a physical body, uh, is not omnipresent. He has this sense of omnipresence, but he's not spiritually omnipresent like we would say in Christianity. So you just look at just the doctrine of God, and you see it's a different God. Um, When you look at the doctrine of Christ, Christ is in Mormonism. Jesus is a created being um, who is created through the relationship of Spiritually, he's created through the physical relationship of God the Father and his wife, but then he's incarnated here onto the earth through a physical relationship of God the Father and Mary. Um, so that's a different Jesus. Also, the fact that he's a created being is problematic. Uh, you know, we declared that heresy in the fourth century with Arius. Um, you look at the doctrine of Scripture, we have one book with 66 divisions, they have four books with hundreds of divisions. And they still continue to add scripture to their canon. And then if you look at the doctrine of salvation, an Orthodox historic Christian would say we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Whereas a Mormon says we're saved by grace through faith plus 17 additional things that a person has to do, including okay. baptism, tithing, all those things. So just looking at those four big topics, God, Christ, scripture, and salvation, we can see very, very plainly that this is a different religion. When we say they're not Christian, we're not trying to be rude. We're simply making a differentiation. Right. I mean, Muslims aren't Christians. Right. They're not. And that's, that's not saying you're a bad person, you know, or anything like that. It's just saying you're, you're, you're this and not that. Right. If you don't align, um, with what has historically been known as Christianity, you mean, you know, that's fine. It's, it's, it's America. You have, you have the freedom of religion, but it's not Christianity. Don't pretend like it is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the idea Mormons have just, that, yeah, they've co-opted that term to make it uh, easier on them because historically they've been seen as the cult group next door. Right. So um, really, it was it was interestingly it was World War II that made them 
more accepted because a lot of Mormons went off and fought in World War II, and they were fighting right beside Christians and right. other folks from the states. Uh, and people came back saying, "Hey, these people are just as American as apple pie." <laughs> now, you know, the the biggest holiday in Utah is July the fourth. Uh, it's not Christmas or Easter. The second biggest is July the twenty fourth. That's a state holiday in Utah. Uh, and then Halloween is the third, interestingly, and then Christmas and Easter come after that. Hmm. So, yeah, they're uber American, American flags everywhere, the whole bit. Uh, Yeah. So now to get back to your original question, what, what do you say to a Mormon? Um, you know, it's the same thing you'd say to a Muslim or Hindu or Jew or, you know, the atheist that you meet on the street. And that is the Bible says you're a sinner. You know, you just present the gospel. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not some clever argument that I have, not some little paragraph of words that I've constructed just perfectly so that if I say them to a Mormon in the right way, he'll go, oh, yep, you got me. Mm-hmm. You're right. I'm wrong. You share the gospel. Now, how do you do it? You stress uh, grace, mercy, and forgiveness while you're talking to them because inside of Mormonism— with their stress on works and perfection, there's really not much grace, mercy, and forgiveness included. Um, one thing I love to do with a Mormon is just ask the simple question, tell me one thing you appreciate the most about your faith. What's well, one thing? Boil it all down for me. What do you appreciate the most about your faith? I've not met a Mormon in 23 years who said anything other than some version of it makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, so what I always instruct Christians to do is just say, look, when a Mormon says that to you, you say, well, can I share with you what I appreciate the most about my faith? And you simply say, when uh, when I die, what I appreciate the most about my faith is, is that I know beyond the shadow of any doubt that when I open my eyes in death, I'll see Jesus standing there ready to hug me, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of who I am, in fact, in spite of who I am, but all because of who he is. So super simple, just present the gospel. You know, there's... I. I used to go into all the anti-Mormon stuff and, oh, the Book of Mormon has all these problems and there's archaeological issues over here and historical issues there and Joseph Smith had 30-plus wives and Brigham Young had all these women and how could you possibly believe these people are prophets? And you know what that does? It just makes a wall go up and they're done. They don't want to talk to you Hmm. Uh, because they think you're rude and a jerk and you probably are. Uh, But uh, do uh, do you emphasize the resurrection or what do they believe about the resurrection? They believe the same thing we do. Jesus really? got dead three days in. Yep. Yep. Hmm. And ascended to the Father 40 days later. Spirit comes 10 days after that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's odd. I don't know how you get the resurrection, but Jesus is still not God, and the Bible is no more uh, authoritative than Joseph Smith's words. It just seems to me from an apologetic standpoint that if Jesus rose from the dead that he is God and the Bible is God's word because he taught that the Bible was God's word and now yep. you have the stamp of the resurrection to prove it and I guess yeah, that, I guess does this, Joseph Smith basically takes every kind of big question in Christianity and just tweaks it just a little bit just enough to make it different but not enough so that it's so different like Islam or something like that yeah. so you know, it's 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 kind of tough. You know, I've been doing this 23 years, and I could probably count on three or four hands the number of Mormons I've seen saved, really? uh, just because they think they're Christian. And it'd be like telling somebody in Texas, 
well, I don't think you're a Christian, even though they might have grown up in church and they've been there 70 years. And then their parents and grandparents and great-great-grandparents were all Christian, too. So it's a very personal thing for a Mormon to hear that you believe he's not a Christian. So how long were you in Salt Lake? We were there for six years. For six years. Yep. And so if there wasn't that many converts, who, who all went to church, I guess, is what I was kind of thinking. Yeah. So us personally, right, I've not seen many. Yeah. Um, so the missionaries that we have there right now in uh, in Utah, they're about – uh, 35, 36 Southern Baptist missionaries sure. in Utah starting new churches. Um, so they're seeing converts because they're either doing block parties or they're going door to door or they're hosting events or whatever. Uh, so there's been good success in Utah in the last six years, not because of anything I've done, but just God's just moving in, in amazing ways. Um, so yeah, there are people converting. A lot of people are moving into Utah, especially in the West. Mm. Uh, Utah has been one of the fastest growing states in the U.S. population-wise for the last six to seven years, um, mostly out of Southern California. To drive from Los Angeles to Salt Lake City only takes about seven and a half or eight hours. Okay. Um, so, you know, which is, if you do that in Texas, you're still in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you can, the West is pretty well connected, uh, even though the distances are pretty significant. But people are moving into Utah. They're selling expensive houses in Southern California, and they're moving there. So... A lot of those folks are Christian that are moving in, or they're just not Mormon, and they're more receptive to the gospel. Gotcha. So tell us about uh, your book on uh, Mormon theology, uh, The Saints of Zion, an introduction to Mormon theology. Yeah, I wanted to write a book that um, that would introduce Mormonism to non-Mormons, and obviously write it from a non-Mormon perspective, but do so in a way that if a Mormon picked it up, he would read it and say, yep, that's what I believe. I might nuance it differently, and I might, well, I would disagree with your conclusions, but you pretty much got Mormonism right on. Um, because most books I've read on Mormonism by a non-Mormon, if a Mormon picks it up, or Mormons that I've talked to that have read those books, most times they say, well, I don't believe half of this. So probably 70 to 75% of my book is just direct quotes from Mormon publication, Mormon church official publications, or quotes from their leadership, things like that, um, for the simple reason that if we can figure out where we disagree, then we can move from there into an evangelistic conversation. So it's mostly explaining Mormonism, and the last chapter is evangelistic methodology suggestions. So what are, uh, name a few uh, points of difference between uh, Christian theology and Mormon theology that, you, you've already talked about some, you talked about the doctrine of God and uh, the doctrine of God in Christ. Um, did I hear you say God has a wife? Yes. So where does this come from? Yeah, so in Mormonism, when a man gets married on the earth, um, we'll just talk about this planet, so we don't have to get into other planet theories. Um, when a man gets married, if he's a good Mormon, he gets married in a temple to his wife, and their a Mormon wedding is called a sealing, an S-E-A-L-I-N-G. So that man and woman are sealed together in a Mormon wedding for time and all eternity. So in a Christian wedding, you'll hear, till death do us part. In a Mormon wedding, you will never hear those words. So they're sealed for time and all eternity. And what happens is when the man and woman die, they then go to their own, what Mormons call a sphere of perfection or a sphere of existence. And they begin creating spirit children through heavenly sex. And they're still physical beings. Um, 
so those spirit children then are incarnated into physical bodies when a earthly mom and a dad conceive a child. So that's that's what Mormons believe about all of us. We're all spirit children of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother that have been incarnated in the physical bodies. Okay, I think I followed you. <laughs> Heavenly mom and dad uh-huh. procreate. Yep. And the result... Is a spirit baby. It's a spirit baby that it then incarnates. Yep, when a physical mom when and dad... When a physical mom and dad procreate here on Earth. Yep, and it's like the hand goes in the glove kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, okay, <laughs> I see. So it's kind of answering the question, where does the soul come from? Right, yeah. So, so it's to, actually quite platonic. Right, it very much is, yeah. Heavenly Mother is just God's wife from his prior existence as a human. Okay, wow. Yeah, and they even uh, they even posted an article on their website, an official statement about Heavenly Mother uh, about two years ago, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Man, I'm learning all kinds of stuff. Huh. Uh, there's kind of some cliches about Mormonism. Uh, the obvious one is when you hear a knock on your door. And, and you just you can go ahead and assume that it's a, a, a Latter Day Saint there. To where, where does this? Uh, I've often said, "Wow, I wish we had as much of evangelistic fervor as they do." So, right. where does this kind of evangelistic fervor come from? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They are very, very serious about missionary work. Uh, there, a couple of years ago, they counted close to a hundred thousand missionaries around the world, most of whom were between the ages of eighteen and twenty-one. Um, Mormon young men go on a mission starting at the age of 18. They go for two years. Young women start at 19. They go for a year and a half. And then couples and adults can serve later in life for however many years doing various things. Um, they go overseas like we do? Uh-huh. They'll go to any country. <clears throat> excuse me. They'll go to any country that's open for them to come. They will not go to closed countries. Okay. So they're not going to Iran or places like that. Gotcha. Uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir is counted as some of their missionaries. There are 360 members of the choir, um, and the reason it's limited to 360 is because that's how many choir seats there are in the tabernacle in Salt Lake, in the Temple Square. Um, so, you know, they just have a big missionary zeal um, to do so, and it's, it's one of those works for what's called exaltation, which is salvation in the highest level of heaven. Uh, yeah, it's you get a knock on the door. It's either going to be a Mormon missionary, Jehovah's Witness, right? So they get uh, there's a some kind of benefit that they're earning from doing it. Yeah, there's um, if you remember Re reward. Yeah, I talked about grace, uh, our faith uh, in you know saved by grace through faith, and not a result of works. But a Mormon says I'm saved by grace through faith plus. All these mm -hmm. things, all those things is missionary work. Gotcha. Yeah. So are they a growing religion? Is this a growing religion? Is it a shrinking religion? Yeah, it's been growing for a number of years. Uh, their fastest growth rates were in the 1970s and 1980s, um, where they were growing leaps and bounds. Uh, now their growth rate has slowed significantly. What's difficult about Mormonism is you can't just look at bare numbers, sheer numbers, and say, oh, well, they grew from 15.4 million this year to... 15.9 million. They added 500,000 people. You have to look at the creation of something called wards and stakes. A ward is a local meeting house. It's about 500 active Mormons. So that's the brick buildings you see that have just a white steeple with no cross on them. Uh, and a stake is an organization of those wards together in a geographical boundary. 
uh, a stake is about six to seven wards, so between 3,000 and 3,500 people. So for every 500 new Mormons added, there should be one new ward added. For every 3,500, let's say, new Mormons added, there should be one new stake added. Uh, so it should be kind of a one to 500 ratio. Yeah. What's kind of been going on in the past 10 to 15 years is that ratio has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. So even though they're showing these massive numbers of people coming in, that's not playing out of the number of new wards created. Gotcha. So their growth is still going, but it's much, much slower than it was, say, 30 years ago. Gotcha. Yeah. Back back to the evangelism thing. Yeah. How, how often did you get a knock on your door when you lived there? You know, it's interesting. We never got a knock on our door in no six No kidding. Nope. Yeah. I said I'd never met a Mormon before, but I have had, uh, you know, somebody come and knock on the door. I remember when I was a kid. So right. even I've had that, and you didn't have one living in Salt Lake? Well, so here's the thing. We lived in a town called Harriman. Harriman is in the southwest corner of Salt Lake Valley, about 35 miles from downtown. Uh, I actually just found this out in June uh, from the mayor of Harriman. He told me, he was a friend of mine, uh, also very Mormon. Uh, he told me that a study was done between Salt Lake County and Utah County. Utah County is the county of the south of Salt Lake. That's where BYU is. Mm-hmm. Uh, to find the most Mormon area of Salt Lake and Utah counties, and Harriman was number one. So I could take you to, you know, a block in Harriman and show you three meeting houses in one block, three ward houses in one block. Yes, and each yes. one of those ward houses actually had probably two or three wards in it. So 1,000 to 1,500 active per building, not just 500. Um, so why did we not get a knock on our door? Because we lived in the most Mormon city in Utah. They just assumed you were Mormon. They just assume everybody's Mormon. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that makes more sense. Yeah. And and kind of when when you come from an area where you know nothing about Mormonism, anytime you do hear it, it's probably just some off the wall thing that's probably not even true. Like you're saying, these books that people write, Mormons would say half of what's in there, I don't even agree, I don't even agree to. But sometimes right. you hear you just hear all the cliches and whatever when you're somebody like me who's never really met a Mormon in his entire life. So, but one thing you hear is them looking into your taxes and into the IRS and then going and, and showing up at your door and saying something to the effect of, why well, haven't this weird stuff go on in Utah? Yeah, they don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, it's just made up stuff. Yeah, the closest thing you get to that is when they have a, an annual tithing settlement uh, where the Mormon family goes to meet with the bishop and some bishops require them to bring their tax records and he re- he compares tax records to tithing information because mm-hmm. you have to give 10% of your income in order to be a class A citizen, basically, uh, without going into it. So that's the closest they come to that. Um, there's no, you know, surreptitious underground movement <laughs> that's conspiratorial. And, and uh, there are people that believe that, yeah. uh, but... There's nothing like that going on that I know of. Okay. That's not, not happening. I just don't know of it if it is. Okay. Since I'm asking stuff that's obviously ignorant, let me just keep it going. What about right. what about like uh, uh, multiple spouses or polygamy? Is that a thing? Yeah. Uh, polygamy was officially stopped in 1890. Okay. So we're 100 and almost 20 years past, uh, that. past that. Now, that, that's not to say it doesn't still happen. Because people uh, were saying weird stuff about polygamy. Uh, who was it? Mitt Romney, whenever he was running for yeah, president. Right, right. That's probably uh, where I heard that. <laughs> yeah, there's, and let me preface all this by simply saying that there are just as many breakoff groups of Mormonism as there are of 
Christianity. Sure. So okay. there's hundreds and hundreds of them. Uh, in fact, I've got a, a book right here behind me that's nothing but breakoff groups of Mormonism. So the Salt Lake Church is the big one. They're usually referred to as the Brighamites by Mormon scholars because Brigham Young was their first main leader after Joseph Smith. Um, the Brighamites haven't practiced polygamy since 1890. There are other groups, though, that still practice polygamy. We could go to the Walmart close to where we lived or the Costco close to where we lived in Salt Lake. And in our community, our Walmart was known as the polygamous Walmart. Really? Because every four or five trips we'd go, we'd see a van pull up, like a 15 passenger van pull up and three women get out that look like they just came off a little house on the prairie and 10 kids going after them. And that's the polygamous family. And you just, it's just like another day in Utah. Nobody even thinks anything about it. I could not imagine seeing that. Yeah, there were three polygamous compounds within a five-minute drive of our house, and there were three different polygamous groups. I thought it was illegal. It's very illegal, but here's how it's illegal. It is, In fact, Utah has the strictest anti-polygamy laws of any state in the country. So here's, though, how the law works. In Utah, it is illegal to have an intimate physical relationship with anybody with whom you're not married. So right? you can't That's, commit adultery. You can't commit. It's very illegal in Utah to commit adultery. Adultery is illegal. It's in, very in Utah. Yeah, very. So, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I mean, I agree it's immoral. Yeah. But illegal is a different story. Are people being punished for it? Well, so the way the law is written is they can only be punished if they're caught in the act. So here's what would have to happen. What would have to happen is a police officer would have to go into somebody's bedroom catch them in the act, ask for a wedding license, and if they can't produce it, then put them in cuffs and take them to jail or find them or whatever. It couldn't so, be, uh, well, I don't know if I should go into any more uh, of my other questions. Uh, you couldn't uh, have evidence and take it to a police officer and say, look. Uh, you know, yeah, like Bill Clinton, here's the blue dress or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, no, or you couldn't say, here's a kid, but we're not married. So it's not really there. enforced? No. It, well, there's no way to enforce it just because of the right. way the law Yeah, so... Polygamy is all over Utah. In fact, there's a town in southern Utah called Hill, Hilldale that's the northern, it's the Utah side of an Arizona town called Colorado City that a lot of people have heard about Colorado City. That's where Warren Jeffs was with the fundamentalist LDS church. Hmm. Uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, the FBI raided the compound because he was sleeping with and marrying off 12-year-old girls. Hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, polygamy is all over Utah, but the Salt Lake Church does not sanction it. They have not sanctioned it since 1890. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a that's a big one that I always get. Well, they still marry more than one woman, right? I uh, haven't done that in 120 years. Yeah, the other – there's two other big ones um, that people always want to know about and sure. ask about. That's – do Mormons wear funny underwear? Funny underwear? I haven't heard that one. That's always a big one. They Mormons have something called temple undergarments they receive when they go through the temple for the first time. It's kind of a, a reminder to them of the covenant they've made with God. Okay. Uh, for an evangelical Christian, it'd be the same thing as wearing a cross on a necklace. Yeah. Uh, but they wear undergarments instead of fruit of the loom or hanes. They wear those undergarments as their underwear. Uh, and they believe it reminds them of the covenant, protects them from the attacks of Satan. Sure. So that's the, that's the second one. The third one is, uh, now Mormons don't drink caffeine, right? That's the other Ooh, big one. Count me out. Yeah, Mormons actually do drink caffeine. Mm. They drink. Count me they, in. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. <laughs> that's like it's going out of style. What Mormons don't drink is they don't drink coffee or tea specifically. Hmm. 
Doesn't matter. Count me out. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's caffeinated or decaf, hot or cold, doesn't matter. No coffee, no tea, period. And the reason? Yeah, Doctrine and Covenants 89. Doctrine and Covenants is one of their scriptures. And uh, section 89 says, part of it says that hot drinks are not for the body. And Joseph Smith's brother interpreted that as meaning coffee and tea. Now, what's interesting about that is, is they'll drink hot chocolate, which has hot in the title, but they won't drink coffee or tea, even if it's cold. Okay. So, yeah, no coffee, no tea. They Mormons, absolutely, that's one of the things that... Do you think that's hear, what he meant by his words, or just kind of hermeneutically here? What do you think he meant? Is that what he meant? No, coffee and tea, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah there's a long story behind it. Um, so they don't... Mormons are kind of like the good 1950s Americans. They don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't date the girls who do. Okay. Um, kind of thing. No coffee, no tea. Um but one of the things I hear all the time is Mormons don't drink caffeine, right? No, they they drink caffeine. They just don't drink coffee and tea. So Coca-Cola, all that's good? Yep, yep. How about that? That is pretty interesting. Yeah. So well, how do Mormons um, conceptualize you know, evangelical Christians or other Protestants or even Catholics? How do, how do they think about other Christians? Yeah, they see them as just other brothers and sisters in a larger Christian faith. So uh, they wouldn't try to evangelize you? No, they still do because they think they've got the best information of all the information okay, out there. Okay, but is it, I'm trying to conceptualize this. Is it more like a Armenian and Calvinism debate? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it well, it, it's more than that. Um, the difficulty here is that Mormons have a multi-tiered heaven. So they actually have heaven that's got three levels in it, and the top level actually has three levels inside of it. So there's really five altogether. Um and everybody, pretty much everybody, goes to one of those levels of heaven. Um, so the best way to think about it is a buddy of mine who teaches down at BYU described it this way. He said, evangelicals have a small heaven and a huge hell. Mormons have a huge heaven and a small hell. So that's... How can you I'm, have a heaven and a hell? Well, for, for Mormonism... The person that's going to hell, and they don't call it hell, they call it outer darkness. Okay. Uh, but that, that is a person who was Mormon, but left the faith and has been officially excommunicated and now is no longer Mormon. Okay. So it's only for somebody who has... But they could be asked, They could be literally... What if they go from Mormonism to, uh, you know, now they're Southern Baptist? Is that the same thing? Same thing. That's just as bad. If you leave Mormonism... Mm-hmm. Then you're not really a brother. It's bad. Yep, you're, you're going to outer darkness. But if you were just Southern Baptist... And you never were a Mormon. Then you're going to you're probably a the level of heaven called the terrestrial level. Yeah. Which is better. Yes. Huh. I would think the other one would be better. Yeah, at least no. you were a Mormon just at some point. Yeah. In fact, if you're a student at BYU and you go in as a Mormon and you leave Mormonism, you get kicked out of school. Dang. If you go in as a Southern Baptist and you convert to something else, they don't care. But if you go in as a Mormon and you convert to anything other than, in fact, even, you know, converting to agnosticism or atheism, you're done. Wow. How about that? So there might be somebody out there. uh, Before we go to the – this will be the last question before we go to the bonus segment, by the way. If you want to stick around and hear uh, more from Dr. Travis S. Kearns, again, professor of apologetics and world religions at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, you can follow the link in the description over to our Patreon page and become a supporter. And you can get access to all the different uh, bonus segments that we have over there with all of our interviewees, as well as some other bonus material that we have uh, prepared for you over there. 
But before we get there, uh, Dr. Kearns, there may be somebody listening who has a Mormon friend and, you know, they've had conversations with them before, kind of tried everything they could think of. Uh, I know you hinted at it earlier, but before we go, uh, what uh, piece of advice would you give to that person today? Yeah, that's a great question. My advice would be be friendly to them. Don't treat them like they're the enemy. Um, Don't think you've got to slam a Bible over their head or something like that. Be friendly to them. Show them the love of Jesus through your actions and your words. And every opportunity you get, share the gospel with them. Uh, Just be their friend because most evangelicals they meet are going to be thinking that they're the enemy. So be their friend. Be compassionate. Be a living example of 1 Peter 3.15. Always being ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that's in you, but do so with gentleness and uh, compassion. Amen to that. Dr. Kearns, thanks so much uh, again for coming on. Uh, congratulations at your new appointment at Southwestern. Hope everything goes great. And again, I just really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your day to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Hayden. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review, and help us spread the word. And uh, of course, if you want to watch the bonus segment, five more minutes. Five more minutes with Dr. Travis S. Kearns. You can follow the Patreon link in the description below and head on over and become a supporter of Help Me Believe. Thanks so much for joining us, guys, and we'll see you next time.